Praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Reed. I want to give you the setting. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And you immediately, as soon as you start to read, you get introduced to the main character. And this main character has some distinctions about himself that can apply to all of us. Listen to how the chapter begins. And it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man. Look at your neighbor and say, great man. With his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. See, this man on the surface had it all. He was probably a man of good size. He was a general of the army. He was second only to the king in the whole nation of Syria. He had power. He had prestige. He had wealth. He had everything that if he was walking through downtown Fort Myers, he would probably, instead of being in a soldier's array, he would probably be dressed in a $2,000 suit. He would have the exact car that all of us dream about, or truck. Somebody say amen. (laughs) He would have the right shoes, the right haircut. He's cool. He's got the house that everybody wants. Everybody knows his name. When he walks around Syria, they're thinking of a war hero. They're thinking of a man of courage. They're thinking of a man that is not afraid of anything, and he's got the skill set to confront anything that comes his way. And if you're not careful, if you see him walking around Fort Myers, you may say, hey, I'd love to trade places with him. See, that's a problem, and I'm not one to uh, take credit where other people say really smart things. But when somebody says something really smart and you repeat it, at least give them credit for it. And Stephen Furtick says this. He says that the death of contentment is comparison. When you are trying to be someone you are not, when you are trying to be that guy or that lady, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with you looking at somebody as an example of maturity and experience and saying, hey, I see some qualities in them I would like to start experiencing in my own personal life. I see some disciplines in them that I would like to emulate. But when you try to be them, it's impossible and breeds nothing but frustration because God only made one of them and he didn't call you to be them he called you to be you and a lot of times when we want to look at somebody else and start to compare their lives with our lives you don't know the whole story because the poorest person in Syria would probably have said, I want to be that guy. I want to have what he has. I want to do what he does. But the problem is, when he took off all of his stuff, anytime the Bible says the word but, pay attention to what comes after it. But he was a leper. That means he was dying. He had a terminal illness. That his money, his titles, his medals, his fame could not erase. It was one of those moments where he was faced with a challenge that he just didn't have the strength to overcome. 
And leprosy, I've said many times, and actually I think I even mentioned it a little bit last week, it has a lot of the characteristics of sin. Starts out small, spreads. It starts to rob people of mobility and things in their life. And how many of you, I mean, we're a a church of, of authenticity and most of us have a testimony to tell about what God got us out of or got us through. And many of us were not um, the perfect person before Christ and after Christ, we're still not the perfect person. Can anybody say amen? But man... Sin, I mean, does anybody else remember the moment where you thought that that little thing, because sin starts out small, most of the time starts out as a thought. And we think, well, then we start justifying the thought and the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of the thought and says, no, I got this, don't worry about it, I'm, I'm, I'm different than other people, I can handle this. How many of you remember saying that in your head? Say Amen. Yeah, nobody wants to end up where sin takes you. And, it, it, you know, you, thought you, you, you experience sin and you know that grace abounds. And then sin starts to destroy everything. It starts to rob you. See, I am convinced that the story about King David and the lion and the bear was never about his safety. Because if you read it closely, it never attacked David. The scripture does not say this. And a bear come out of the woods and tried to kill David. Or a lion come out of the woods and tried to kill David. No, it doesn't say that. It says a bear and a lion come out of the woods and just grabbed a little thing called a lamb. That's all it took. And it and, and never really confronted David, but David, I'm convinced that the enemy was trying to do something in a little form that would later turn into something big. That David, if you'll allow little things to take valuable things in a field, what will you do when you get on the throne? Because look at your neighbor and tell them this, little things turn into big things. So this man had skin that had white spots on it and it was robbing him of his life. And have you ever noticed in scripture how God uses the most common means to do extraordinary things? In this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, he's going to use a little girl prisoner of war. Her country got conquered by the Syrians and they took her in as a prisoner of war and made her a servant in Naaman's house. That's how we know how good of a man he is. Because how many of you, if you were taken from your homeland and you were a prisoner of war, would want to save the life of the guy that took you captive? I wouldn't. I'd say, good luck, buddy. I'm headed home. (laughs) No, she says these words to him. See, she probably was there. She probably wasn't even meant to see. She was probably attending to his wife when he come home and got some in some form of undress. And he probably took off the things that guarded his forearms. He took off the medals. He took off the breastplate. And he got down to kind of like an ephod or a robe. And she could see the white spots. And she realized, oh my goodness, he's sick and he's dying. And she whispers to his wife, oh, that he would be in Israel where there's a prophet that hears from the words of God. Because if he was there, he could be healed. 
It's in those moments. See, many of you will think to yourselves, Pastor, I'll never preach a sermon up on that stage. Maybe not. I am, I am afraid of, of public speaking and, and it terrifies me to think that I would have the responsibility of having to preach next Sunday. Hey guys, I get nervous still. But you may be right. You may never come up here to preach, but your life is a sermon every day. And if God could use a little girl prisoner of war in a house, wonder what he could do with you at your work. In Walmart, in your family, what wonderful thing could happen through you that unlocks a miracle to set someone free with the power of the gospel because you're living it in word and deed? This guy gets so excited. Now, she is not a person of authority. She's just a person speaking hope. And when we look in the eyes of people during these holiday times and maybe their family has been a casualty in 2020, maybe it's not just somebody died, maybe their marriage ended, maybe their kids are spread out throughout the United States and it's the first time that they're going to wake up on December 25th and be alone. And if God could use a girl to provide hope, wonder what he can do through you. And so he gets so excited that a prisoner of war, little girl tending to the needs of his wife, says that there's hope for you, but it's in Israel. This guy rushes to the king of Syria and says, hey man, I need your help. I have risked my life on the battlefields for you. I have done all of these things. I have wealth. I've, I've got power. I've got privilege. I've got influence. You want to get elected next time? Come through me. But I need help. A little girl told me there's hope. How many of us can be conveyors of hope? How many of us can say that, you know what, God can do anything? How many of us could say God can do the impossible? How many of us could look into the eyes of somebody that's run their distance and they ran out of hope and we could say, hey man, I am a living example of the byproduct of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he can do anything. Scripture says with men, all of this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Can somebody say Amen. King says, hey, I'll write you a letter. Listen to how scripture says it. <laughs> and the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when the letter reaches you now, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to to quarrel with me. There's two types of people in the kingdom of God. There's the first group of people that know about God. Now both groups are saved. They're going to heaven. But one of them know about God. And if you are one of those people that I'm going to describe, I want to encourage you to move to the second group. And what the first group does is they want somebody like myself or someone else to find themselves during the week in the presence of God. They want them to experience the presence of God. And then they want to come back into a place like this and tell you about the presence of God. 
And they get a chance to live vicariously through someone else's experience. This book is, starts out in the Old Testament and it has a famous statement that says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But do you know that when it gets to the New Testament that Peter, James, and John are not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That means that the same God that was the answer for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become the same God that would manifest in the lives of people like Peter, James, and John and become their God, which leads us to believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the God of Peter, James, and John is the same God that wants to meet and fellowship and have relationship with you and I. Can some Somebody say amen. amen. Sure. And we find ourselves, depending on somebody, tell me what God's like. The king of Israel knew about God. You could tell by his reaction. He gets a letter, falls apart. If there's ever an example of an anxiety attack in scripture, this is it. Guy rips his clothes, starts to mourn, and thinks the king of Syria is trying to start a war with him because the letter is asking him to do something that is naturally impossible. No, There is no cure for leprosy. So how is the king of Israel, just because he's got a letter from the king of Syria, going to cure this guy? Now, first of all, you have to understand the letter didn't go to the right person. What did the little girl tell him? There's a prophet in the land of Israel, not the king. He's in the right spot, wrong address. King of Israel's falling apart, man. He's losing it. How is this guy, how, he's asking me to be God. Who am I to decide who lives and who dies? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not making light. Hey, man, I've had moments where I've been anxious too. I've had moments where I have felt anxiety and other things. I'm not diminishing that. And if you experience that, I'm not making fun of it. I'm telling you that there's a difference when you know God. It doesn't take the moment of anxiety away. It's just in the moment of your most anxious time when you know him and don't just know about him and you've went through some things with him and he whispers your name in the middle of the night and you just by him saying your name, you don't lose your mind and you've got a testimony that's not somebody else's testimony but you know when he's met with you and he touched you and said your name and he settled everything. It didn't mean the crisis went away it just meant you knew he was with you it's in that moment the king of Israel is just losing it how am I this guy wants to start a war with me look at what the prophet says but when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes he sent to the king saying why have you torn your clothes let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. One guy is flipping out. The other guy says, send him to me. <laughs> See, I know God. I don't just know about him, but I know him through my challenges and my difficulties. I know him because Elijah, Elisha does double the miracles of Elijah because he asked for a double portion but the last miracle was when they threw a dead guy on his bones and he got up from the dead. I mean, here's a key for your prayer life. If you're praying for miracles, what you're asking for is problems. 
because problems are the ones that have no solutions that need the miracles. So you're, you're praying, God, just let me be like those people because I hear this all the time. Why doesn't miracles happen today and, and where I am? And you pray, God, let me be a part of a miracle. What you're doing is saying, God, let me find somebody that has a problem that's unsolvable by natural means and use me to reveal your glory to the earth to say, hey, I believe God can do anything, amen? But if you're gonna stay away from the problems, don't pray for miracles, he goes to, the, so this guy goes from Syria to Israel. He's willing to travel and carry money. He's got silver, gold, and a bunch of clothes. It's going to make whoever heals him wealthy. He now finds himself in the palace, realizes he's in the wrong place, and the king says, go see the prophet. He's not in a palace. He's in a regular house in a neighborhood. Here's where he lives, go, and, the, and this guy's willing to go. Take the extra step. Hope. Now, how many of you will tell the truth? Be careful if they don't amen me right here. Be careful who you're sitting next to. When you have a way, I mean, we sing crazy stuff at church, don't we? Like he split the sea so we can walk right through it. I mean, impossible stuff, right? And then we sing another song like, he's never lost a battle, never lost a battle. I mean, y'all remember singing that? I mean, do you believe it? He's never lost a battle. But yet when God doesn't do things the way you want him to do them, you start questioning whether he knows what he's doing. The same God that's never lost a battle and split seas wide open. Have you ever had a, an idea of how God should answer your prayer and when he didn't do it that way, you did the same thing that I do? I got mad. Any of you ever been mad because he just didn't instantly take it away? Say Amen. Most of the time, people pray for miracles, but what they need is the process that leads to the miracle that changes and transforms their life. That, that stuff you should tweet out and stuff right there. That's good stuff. <laughs> so, I don't even know how to tweet. I'm 53, I told you. <laughs> so, this guy had an idea of how God should do it. And God was about to wreck him. So I want you to join me in my imagination at the house of Elisha, the prophet. This guy's got, like, get the stuff ready, guys. Get the gold, the silver, get it ready. I'm at the right place now, the prophet's house. I got the right thing. Get the gold, silver, get the changes of clothes. Hope we got the right size. Is there a tailor among us? Make sure you see this guy when he comes out. Prophet, don't even come to the door. Sends a servant. Servant set comes out and says, hey, uh, we know why you're here. He's heard from the Lord. And if you go jump in the Jordan River seven times and bathe yourself in the dirtiest river in Israel, you'll be healed. God bless you. <laughs> door closes, door opens. By the way, God's not for sale. Take your stuff with him. God bless. <laughs> Bible literally says that this response enrages Naaman. Now, I've got a vivid imagination, and I tell you every week, I'm not that saved. It probably went something like this. Let's just pretend he's my age. He's 53. Inside of every 53-year-old man lives a 12-year-old little boy. <laughs> and in our minds, when we're doing something, he's about 16. 16. 
He's the fastest we've ever been. I was running the other day. I thought I was hitting Mach 1. I was like, <laughs> that 16-year-old boy in my head was just moving. Yeah, it wasn't real. <laughs> He's throwing a fit. I can't believe I come all the way to Israel. I got letters. I got letters from the king that says he better do his thing. He wouldn't even come to the door. And it's probably not that nice of a discussion. It was probably bleep, 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 bleep. Can you believe this guy? He wouldn't even come and see me. I'm naming the general of the Syrian army. Can't even get the guy to give me the respect to come to the door. He is throwing a fit, probably kicking stuff. Throw the stuff back in the chest. He don't want the gold. Get the clothes. We ain't leaving nothing here. And the whole time, let's pretend this is the chariot. He gets up, beep, beep, beep. And on one side of the chariot, you got a 12-year-old little boy throwing a fit because he didn't, God didn't do it the way he thought he should because Scripture tells you he expected the man of God to come out and perform some kind of magic trick where he waved his hands over his arms and there was no responsibility or participation participation on Naaman's part and he just was going to go home healed he's like man the guy didn't even come to the door much less do some of this <laughs> baby I'm, there's this stuff going through my head <laughs> she's my my conscience <laughs> anyway I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna push through <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> I'm a, big, I'm a big movie buff. Anybody watch Pirates of the Caribbean? At the end of one of the movies, Captain Jack Sparrow has got this bag full of ships in a bottle. And him and his first mate are talking about how to get the ships out of the bottle. And he says, oh, we need a guy that will do this. And he says, I know a guy that will do that. <laughs> That's what Naaman was wanting, the guy that would do this, this, and this. And, and everything would just go away. On this side of the chariot, you got the 12-year-old little boy throwing a fit. On this side of the chariot, the guy that's driving, the servant, is over there going, Woohoo! Man, it's great! You know, this guy over here goes, What are you doing? Before I have you executed. <laughs> he said, This is literal scripture. Just look at it when you get home. He said, Didn't the prophet give you a great word? He's like, Did I go to the wrong door? What did you hear? He said you could be healed. Not that it, you may be healed. He said if you did what he said, you would be healed. Go back to this side. The man throwing the fit. David, get ready to play me something. I want you to know, brother, I've taken a bath every day since I've got these white spots. Water doesn't cure leprosy. No, sir, it doesn't, but obedience does. I love this dude because he probably looks over at his master and says, hey, aren't you going to do it? Don't we ask people to do the same things in church? Sounds crazy. Like, hey, in just a few moments, you're going to get an opportunity if you're not saved to get saved. And we say, Will you raise your hand so we know who we're praying? How many of you have ever raised your hand before? Did that get you out of hell? Now, wouldn't that be easy? If you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. 
It's not the raising of the hand that does it. It's the act of faith that the raising of the hand means. You know how many people have, you know, let's just go a little further. You know how many people have experienced or missed miracles because of 75 feet? Because they, they, they sit back there justifying wherever they're sitting and they say, you know what? God's is real and God here where I'm sitting as he is up there at the front. But pastor keeps asking us to come to the altar all the time. But you walk in 15, 18, 20, 75 steps may be the very act of faith and obedience that unlocks your miracle. I promise you this, if Naaman doesn't get in the water, he doesn't get healed. But pastor, walking 75 feet sounds crazy, like getting in a dirty river to cure leprosy. You get my point? And it's something so simple but so hard, it's the last step before the miraculous. Look at your neighbor and say these words, this word, vulnerability. See, for Naaman to get in the river, he's got to take off the metals, he's got to take off all the stuff, and everybody with him is going to see just how sick he really is. Brother or sister, if you're going through some stuff and it's really killing you on the inside we're not here to judge how sick you are we're here to help you get in the river that allows you to get in the presence of God that allows you to get healed (laughs) I promise you and I'm not telling you not to social distance matter of fact we prayed today socially distance that's wisdom But I promise you, when he started taking off the stuff and they saw all of the white spots, I bet nobody, my wife is the champion of hand sanitizer, I bet nobody grabbed their alcohol bottle and said, wonder if I'm going to get that. (laughs) They were like, take it off, brother, get on in there. Prophet said, if you get wet, you get healed. That's who we are today. We're not one to find out how bad off you are in your sin and take our antiseptic of, oh man, we're Christians and we're gonna stay away from you. No, we're encouraging you. Just keep it taking it off until you get enough off to you reveal who you really are and he loves you anyway. You get in the river of his love, you're gonna come out healed. Finally, this dude becomes vulnerable takes off his stuff and wades into the river. Can you imagine this? I mean, put it in real life context. Now you're waist deep. He's in a linen, probably a linen epoch, underclothing, t-shirt, your drawers. (laughs) And he's about waist deep. And he goes under for the first time. Takes the water and washes it over his skin and looks and goes, Not working. Brother on the chariot said, he didn't say one time, said seven. Six more to go, brother. Keep going down. This don't make any, just get under two, three. I feel stupid, keep getting wet. This is ridiculous. I'm making a fool out of myself and I'm still gonna die. Five, six. But when his actions 
met the criteria for obedience in the authority of God's word. And when his body went down for the seventh time, scripture says this. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I don't know what you're going through on the inside. And you don't have to reveal the details to me, but I promise you, God already knows. And he set aside a service just for you today. Oh, you look great on the outside. And if we're not careful, we'd want to be you. But if people on the inside really knew what, if people could really see what was going on in the battle on the inside, they'd want to get in the river too. So would you stand to your feet this morning? bow your heads with me and close your eyes dear heavenly father thank you for a moment where we get to now stand in a moment of faith just like Naaman and I don't know what everybody's battle is but I know that you are the answer and I know that you could do it right now whether it's forgive a sin, whether it's to begin a relationship that lasts forever, whether it's delivered to heal, to set free, to bind up old wounds to where they're not wounds anymore, to where God, when we become overwhelmed and our anxiety rises to the surface, that you'll remind us that you're with us. God, maybe there's people here that are going to go to the Christmas day for the first time without somebody they, they love, and they don't even know how they're going to do that. But you're going to whisper their name today and tell them you're going to be there on Christmas with them. You're going to give them strength. It's not going to take away the tears. It's not going to erase the memories, but you're going to give them a strength that is supernatural. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Peter, James, and John is ready to be your God right now. Maybe you don't know him as your Savior. It's about the transformational power of the gospel. It's not that you're sorry for your sins. It's that you repent. That means turn away from them and now run towards Christ and let him direct and you follow him the rest of the days of your life. That the price that he paid on the cross was a perfect price because you couldn't be perfect. So he was perfect for you. His blood washes you clean of your sins. And the fact that he got up from the dead gives you life and life more more abundantly on earth and eternal life after you leave this earth doesn't mean that your every day is going to be a great day. It just means that you're going to be his son or his daughter for the rest of your life. He's going to be with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you want to meet a God and follow him for the rest of your life, and let me just set the record straight. After you pray, it's not about you repeating a prayer, but after you pray, you're going to be adopted into the family of God through the price of Jesus. 
you're going to become heirs and join heirs in the kingdom of God. And you're still not going to be perfect. Don't worry about it. He was perfect for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to get saved today and move from your current position to a being a follower of Christ, where you turn away from those old things and now run towards a new thing, would you simply just raise your hand so I can see it? Thank you for those hands. Keep them up where I can see them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine, ten. Oh, God. All right, for one moment, everybody open up your eyes. If you were one of the 10 or 11 people, I know I at least saw 10 that raised their hand, that didn't save you. But what the faith in here of saying, I know who Jesus is and I'll raise my hand to acknowledge that act of obedience is the very thing that is going to set you free. We're going to pray right now and experience salvation. That means you're going to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and become the Lord of your life. And you're going to become his follower. And what the Bible says is your sins are as far as the east is from the west. That means you don't have to live one more moment of guilt and shame. Not one more minute, not one more second. And the power of his resurrection now lives in you. And what once was old and tarnished now becomes brand new. That's you that raised your hand. Let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you for every moment that we see people acknowledge their faith by the raising of a hand. It sounds so simple. It sounds like a man getting into a river that doesn't make sense. The raising of a hand doesn't save a soul. No, but the Jesus that that faith is acknowledging does save our soul. And the price that he paid and the blood that he shed washes us whiter than snow. And that takes all the 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 uh, our past and all of the, the wickedness and all of the shortcomings and all of the failures. And God, you cast it as far as the east is from the west. <clears throat> and you give us a new life. It isn't that you don't pretend that you don't know about it. It's just that you love us anyway in spite of it. So Father, for all of those people that just raised their hand, let them acknowledge that you right now love them with all of your heart and that the price that you paid was for them. And now that they are your sons and daughters and they're gonna walk and follow after you, they're more than they're sorry they've repented. They, from this day forward, they're gonna live differently. They're not gonna live perfectly, but they're gonna live differently. And we as the people of God are going to show them how. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give God an ovation of praise? Now, hold on before you go. If you are one of the 10, there's people like my daughter-in-law right here that has a blue Team Connect shirt. They're going to be all over the sanctuary. They either have a blue lanyard. If you're one of those people, make an act of faith and go find one of them. They're not going to interrogate you. All they're going to do is acknowledge that this, hey, start reading in the book of John. I'm just making that up, but start reading it. I think they do tell you to start reading in the book of John. And they're going to give you their contact numbers. That if you run into any issues, you can call them. And they can help you along the way. But go tell somebody with your voice. Now, for all of us that are saved, how many of us that are still saved still deal with the battle on the inside nobody sees? Now, I, I only had 100 people in first service so we could all come to the front. You can't come to the front. There's too many of you. 
But could you do something? Everybody's eyes are going to be open. Nobody's going to, because I'm going to raise both of my hands. I was going to have you take one step, but then, you know, if we took one step, then you're going to be close to somebody else that's on the other side of you. So why don't we just acknowledge by an act of faith of us raising our hands that say, God, you acknowledge, you already know what I'm dealing with on the inside of me. And I believe today's a day that I'm going to win the battle through your help. And then today I get healed, delivered, and set free. Will you raise your hand with me? Looks crazy. And I wish you online, you could see everybody's hands raised. And you may be raising your hands, but you know what? We all got issues going on. And nobody's afraid to admit it anymore, but we're gonna acknowledge that we get set free today. Doesn't make sense, but we believe that the same God that met Naaman in a river meets us with our hands raised. So Father, right now as our hands are raised toward heaven, Father, you know the very thing that we battle with over and over and over again. Today we speak your deliverance. We speak your, your freedom. We speak set free power that unlocks us from our yesterday and delivers us into our tomorrows. Father, if we need, if our hands represent we need a healing, I pray for that healing right now in Jesus' name. If it takes restoration, God, we believe the impossible could happen. We believe marriages can be reconciled. We believe relationships can be reconciled. We believe that friendships can be reconciled in Jesus' name. Father, if it needs deliverance and we've been bound by something for way too long, deliver us today in Jesus' name. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory forever and ever and everybody said amen let's give him my praise offering god bless you